You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 170. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We are back with a packed show this week. I will start by discussing a few great points made by the legendary investor Howard Marks in his annual memos. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we answer two listener questions. Aaron will answer a question first on MyTech Systems, Inc., symbol IMTK on the NASDAQ, which has its core business centered around mobile check deposit software, and it's shifting to the digital identity and fraud prevention arenas. The growth and valuations look attractive, enough so that we included it in our recent U.S. technology report. Aaron answers if it offers fundamental value or if it's a buy at present. Brennan will look into Block Inc., symbol SQ on the New York Stock Exchange, a global technology company with a focus on financial services. Its well-known businesses include Square, Cash App, Spiral, Tidal, and T. The stock is down 61% in 2022 and 76% since its highs last year. Is this high growth business finally a fundamental buy? We will let you know. Finally, Brett will update us on a stock we called a cautionary tale in last week's podcast, Voyager Digital Limited, symbol V-O-Y-G on the TSX cryptocurrency platform that offers a secure way to trade over 100 different crypto assets using its easy-to-use mobile application. From its 2021 highs over the $32 level, the stock has dropped a whopping 99% to close this week in the $0.30 range. Brett called it a gamble in our last episode. A few short days later, the company has filed for bankruptcy. We'll update you on that story. So I'd like to welcome Aaron, Brennan, and Brett. Aaron's back from your vacation. How did it go? It was good. It was great. Uh, I always like going out, spending uh, some summer summer weeks out in the interior. Didn't get the chance to last year, obviously, because of the forest fires. We had plans to go out there, um, and we had to cancel. So it's, uh, it's nice, at least, that we're able to go out and support the local economy there. Something I really wanted to do, and... The weather, you know, the weather was a little off and on. There was a lot of rain, but I didn't mind because that means there's not likely going to be a, a big forest fire season in um, in BC this year. So that that will be obviously great for the people who are who are out there. But yeah, a little bit of time in Naramata, a little bit of time in Osoyoos, uh, lots of time spent in the water. Um, didn't have to talk to you guys for a couple of weeks. So yeah, it's the the best best few weeks I've had in a while. Mutual, mutual. It was mutual. You know, since since, since my last vacation. <laughs> now, I, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the podcast. You guys did the podcast in my absence. I, I haven't listened to it yet. I am going to listen to it. I'm quite uh, sure again, my name was brought rated. up. 
highest rated yeah, podcast. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 and and top tier content, right? Yeah, only um, only beat the last time you had a run yes, holidays. Course, yeah, yeah, that was the only every other time one somebody takes it. Yeah, surpass, well, yeah. I, I have no doubt that my name was brought up several times. Only nice things. Great. Positive, yeah, positive and complimentary. Yep. And I yeah. say that in the most sarcastic way possible. Cause, I'm surprised you, you have know. your voice because we heard you were up there with the traveling family, uh, you know, the Partridge family type mm-hmm. singing uh, tour that you had there. I'm just surprised you still have a voice after coming back. Well, there you go. Can we hear a little well, tune right see now? See how long it holds up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I, like, like usual, I, I have no idea what Ryan's talking about. Uh, yeah, I, I can imagine many. I can imagine you know where the where the topics were focused while I was gone, and you know, you know, Ryan, he's always you know nice and professional to your face, and as soon as you turn your back, he's, he's a jerk. No, I'm joking, of course. Ryan's never nice and professional. No, he's that's always true. a jerk. So. I didn't. I, didn't I, I that was a compliment there. I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Now, now, okay. Aaron's back. It's good to hear. Um, we got out our technology report last week, so all our U.S. clients, all the VIP clients, got that. There was one new buy in there. Monitoring. Uh, you know, there's over 50 companies that we did in the SaaS arena in the U.S. Software as a service arena. We're monitoring those businesses. Um, had. Uh, was about 16 reports that we did, monitored reports in there. So it's a great report. I encourage if any of our clients have not read through that and looked at the recommendations in there, take a look at that ASAP in your account. Um, I'm going to update everybody. The volatility continues. The S&P 500 is down 20.38% year-to-date. NASDAQ down 28.85%. Bitcoin down almost 60% year-to-date. So volatility Basically, to the negative continues in the market. But there are some select stories out there that we are looking at right now that do offer some value, which is encouraging. Now, I. Surprising to some, I was just going to say 100 point basis, uh, 100 Mm, uh, basis point increase in in rates today from the Bank of Canada. So most were expecting 75, but. Hundred that that's that's the highest it's been since '98. So pretty big news. Those on a variable rate uh, probably got a shock, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, on on their mortgage. So we'll see how that continues to play out, whether that affects the housing market going forward. Um, uh, You know, you already see some cracks and some significant weakness in some some areas of the market for sure. Now, I thought we'd look at um, Howard Marks. He's he's an American investor and writer. Um, I I, I follow some of his writings. I think uh, most of us do here. He's the just to let the listeners know he's the co-founder and co-chairman of Oak Tree Capital Management. Largely thought of as one of the largest investors in what you know have been categorized as distressed securities worldwide. Really, just value situations. He is considered a great investor and a great writer, and his annual memos are must reads for investors around the world. Um, as an aside, his book, The Most Important Thing, Illuminated, which was published in 2013, uh, it's actually an update from his book published, I believe, in 20, two years before 2011, um, which was just called The Most Important Thing. It's not really a beginner's book, but uh, you know, for mo- a lot of investors, it's a really good read. Uh, Warren Buffett you know, calls it a rarity a useful book. So that recommendation was good enough at the time for me. I think it's a book worth reading is what I'm trying to say. So if you could pick up that book, that would be a recommendation from Buffett and myself. Now, 
I'm going to look at three points today from his recent memos to discuss, um, and we're going to discuss amongst ourselves what they mean and how they apply to some of the research that we uh, imply all the time for our clients. The first point I pulled out was in relation to kind of microeconomics 101. And the funny thing is I did a speech on the essence of this topic earlier in the year. So uh, l- let's look at this point. It's, called, it's just about price and value. So when you look at a company, he, he talks about, he says, you look at two factors, uh, which will decide the success of your investment, price and value. No matter how great a company is at the wrong price, it is a, it'll be a bad investment. Marx has always said there's always a price too high to pay for an investment. At the same time, a lousy company could also be a good investment at the right price. Now, long-term investments, however, should have both. So what you're looking for and what he's looking for is quality at the right price. So we can discuss that. It kind of goes along our theory of growth, you know, at a reasonable price. But right, and not paying not paying an infinite price for any asset. It doesn't matter how good an asset is. There's always some upper bound on what you should be willing to pay for it. Uh, So I agree with that. I agree with the spirit mostly of what he's saying. I take a little bit of exception to the statement at the same time a lousy company could also be a good investment at the right price. I mean, could can be interpreted in many ways. I mean, an overpriced company could end up being a good investment. You they they can continue to hit targets and, and go up in price. But it's a matter it's a matter of managing risk maximizing opportunity uh, it would depend on how you define lousy company like if it was just an absolute dog turd it may be just a business like if you rank a, a hundred companies as investment worthy but the worst of them happened to be on sale but it was still relatively investment worthy in that group of a hundred maybe it's lousy but it was so cheap sure you could interpret this in depends on how and, you and, and i highly it. doubt that he he is saying that blockbuster you know, towards the end of its days would have yeah. been a good investment at a certain price. You know, there are certain investment, you had mentioned that he does a lot of investments in distress, distress yeah. securities. Um, so there are certain, there are certain investment strategies that I would consider to be highly specialized whereby, you know, very sophisticated investors will go in, they'll look at a company, they'll evaluate it based on a sum of parts. Maybe it doesn't have a lot of good long-term prospects, but if you liquidate a portion of the business, um, then it starts to look good uh, from an evaluation perspective. But that's that's not something that most investors should be in, involved in. And oftentimes that also involves buying the entire company so that you have some control over what happens with the assets. Whereas as a stock investor, you you, you essentially have no control over what management does. Really, you're, part of what you're investing in is the competency of, of management. So we always focus, I mean, Warren Buffett once said, I'd rather buy either Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, I can't remember, but he said, I would rather buy, I'd rather buy a great company at a good price than a bad company yeah, at a great Buffett price. On that, yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, and I think like you're saying that, I mean, the, the crux of it comes down to, um, and how it applies to the markets that we've really just seen over the last year. Uh, there was an, even in the research we did in the 50 SaaS companies in the U.S., um, some of them wonderful companies. But, you know, there was prices over this past year that they were trading at that uh, great companies, but if you're playing such a massive premium, you're either going to have to wait 5, 10, you know, it could be even longer in some of these years in terms of years 
until they can give you a return on that investment because you're buying them at such a premium. So, uh, you know, you do price, like value matters, like the price you're looking at an investment, you need to put value into that equation as well. And I think that's really what I would take from the statement that he's talking about here is that, uh, you know, even a really great company can be mispriced. And uh, I think some really great companies have been mispriced uh, in the market over the past year, two years, even three years. Um, and hopefully we get a chance over this next year or 18 months to buy those really great businesses while they're on sale. Because, you know, he that is a time where, you know, we can really make some money for our clients over the long term. And that's what we're trying to do. No, absolutely. I mean, overall, I think it's 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 this the spirit of the statement is sound. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So point number two would be it's called two schools, essentially. And it, the quote really has its orig origins in a quote from Mark Twain. And I'll, I'll give you the quote from Mark Twain. He said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So Marx kind of differentiates between people of the I know school and people of the I don't know school. So the I know school investors feel like they know the future. Investing then for them is easy. You decide what's going to happen and you act accordingly. The I don't know school of investors are aware of their inability to tell the future and stick to specific micro situations. In such micro situations, they can actually gain knowledge, a knowledge advantage over other investors. So, I mean, that's the way I'd apply this to some of the things we do. If you look at micro or even micro cap or smaller situations, where uh, there is an inf information, there's less information out there. If you do the work on them, you can gain an advantage over other investors. And, you know, like there's several companies that we can highlight, you know, that we've done research on over the years, a company like Expel Inc., which had zero coverage on it. Well, because it had zero coverage on it, it was an opportunity to gain knowledge, specific knowledge into that business and gain an advantage over other investors. So you can kind of apply that to looking at a situation like that. Any thoughts on his topic about the or yeah, the, I'd like the two to, schools? I'd like to give yeah, my own sure. two cents here. Like I really like that Mark Twain quote. Um, I've got a lot of Mark Twain quotes that I actually like, but uh, that one definitely sticks out to me. And it just is very powerful to, you know, recognize our own ignorance. And I could even, you know, I hate to get philosophical, but I could even relate it to the Socratic paradox, uh, which supposedly Socrates said, but it states, I know that I know nothing. And essentially... Uh, this is to say that true wisdom comes to each of us when we recognize our own ignorance in life, you know, whether it be the world around us or uh, even investing, um, you know, and then I'd also like to say I also have another quote from Charlie Munger, which I think also kind of relates to this in having kind of that uh, I don't know. Uh, philosophy or you know low expectations and Charlie Munger says a happy life is very simple the first rule of a happy life is low expectations that's one you can easily arrange and if you have unreasonable expectations which would be like I know you're going to be miserable your whole life so you know I just think that it's very powerful uh, in you know 
focusing on being, you know, an I don't know investor, uh, because being an I know investor can, uh, you know, get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, so stick to your strategy, diversify through quality stocks. Not every single name is going to go up and knowing that. Um, and yeah, over the long term, you're going to have a good portfolio and some some great winners in there. It would be nice to be an I know investor and be right, because then, like it says, investing would be easy. But I, you know, it's it's impossible to be right exactly. all the time. And yeah, so, Aaron, anything you want to add, or Brett, on this? No, I just think that it's it. Yeah, the 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 what 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 the meaning of this is to me is just it's not that you don't know anything. It's just that you have not. to be you you have to be aware of the whole the the gaps in your knowledge, right? And it's I think that a lot of people can relate. Um, everybody knows somebody who is really um, an idiot, but thinks that they're super smart. And oftentimes, it's the people that think that they're really smart. Should we talk? That really, about are those the most clueless. Today? Should we talk? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a podcast. That's a whole podcast unto no. itself, right? Let's drop a few um, names. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, I bet. But I mean, there, there's research on this, so it's just you know, most smart people that are actually truly smart, they recognize the holes in their knowledge. They recognize the areas. Um, where they, they are weak. And so they, they oftentimes have less confidence in their ability, right? Like Warren Buffett says straight up, he, he doesn't have any confidence in his ability to predict where the market or the economy is going to be six months to a year from now, right? He doesn't have any confidence in his ability to invest in certain industries. Like he avoided tech for the longest time because he said he just didn't understand it. So here's a guy, multi-billionaire many times over, well, widely thought of as one of the best investors of all time, by many thought of as the very best investor of all time, but very cognizant of the areas where he is weak and not expecting himself to be strong and walking around like he's some genius that knows everything. I'm sure if if somebody called Warren Buffett a genius, he would probably laugh, right? Um, so that, that's really what it means to me. It's just it's it's not about not knowing anything. Obviously, you know, you can be knowledgeable in certain areas and should work on that but there's always going to be gaps there's always going to be things that you can't know and much like warren buffett we say we're not trying to predict where the macro economy goes we're not trying to predict what the fed is going to decide to do in six months or what the ultimate impact is we're building a portfolio comprised of a mixture of different types of strong businesses in different growth markets that are producing cash flow um growing that can be purchased at a reasonable price and over time that's that's the winning strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got to say Buffett is, his discipline is unparalleled. I mean, to stick to his principles when, you know, to stay out of tech to a large degree, um, just sticking to that principle that he didn't know enough to invest in it um, when, you know, the whole world around him was screaming to be in until he found value, like that he understood in a company like Apple and then made billions with his investment in Apple. This. I mean, the discipline there is unbelievable to me. I mean, it, it's that is one thing that's incredibly difficult to do uh, in investing, to stay out of things when everybody else is saying, screaming to get in, to get in, to get in, and and, and go against your own principles. So let, let's go to point number three here is macroeconomic macroeconomics 101 i kind of call it cycles are the theme here cycles are the result of emotional decisions in the market marx describes kind of a pendulum that shifts between euphoria and depression most of the time it'll be in the middle a healthy state but every now and then it swings to the extremes 
The important thing to remember is the self-correcting nature of cycles. Once the pendulum is at an extreme, it'll swing back and eventually end up in a steady state. This creates an opportunity to investors who are aware of this. So I think we saw the pendulum swing to the euphoria the euf- in you know at the end of 2021, perhaps in the fall of 2021. Um, so we can discuss that. I guess it's tough to know when the pendulum has swung back far enough to then go back and start to get towards the middle. Um, you know, are we there yet? Some people believe, some people believe there's a lot more to go. Well, nobody likes recessions. Nobody likes market downturns, but the fact of the matter is we, we need them. It's, it's all just a part of a healthy economy. Right. And, and what I think, and what many people agree, um, causes, um, a bubble, um, or, you know, or what leads up to a. Um, recession or a crash is when expectations just get too lofty. Like people have been doing well, making money, generating returns for so long. Um, you know, when the market is just trending up, up, up and up, it starts to become easy. And when, when, and the expectations just get too high. So people, you know, they load up on debt, they, they start, they start making investments that are riskier than they would have otherwise made. Um, in normal markets, businesses overexpand because they see so much demand or they're, they're expecting that that demand is going to continue many years forward. So it's just expectations get too high. And when I start hearing things about, you know, like NFTs, non-fungible tokens and, you know, 20 year olds that become uh, you know, multimillionaires and billionaires even overnight from Bitcoin or meme stocks. When I start hearing about people scoffing at 15 to 20 percent annual returns, that tells me that expectations have just gotten too high and, and people need to be deflated. People need to be brought down to earth. And that's what that's what a market downturn and a recession does. So it's definitely it's it's nothing that anybody really wants to experience, but it is certainly an absolutely vital component of a healthy economy. Yeah, and the, and the question is now, and we talked about that kind of in our uh U.S. technology report is it swings one way so far. Sometimes it tends to swing back the other way to an extreme as well before we get back to some level of equilibrium. Um, are we at a point where it's swung back far enough the other direction, or do we have to go through some more significant pain before we get to back to more of an equilibrium uh, point? Now, like when we did our, our look you know, just at that SaaS tech, the 50 companies there, we did, you know, we like to look at price to cash flows, but because a number of the companies don't have cash flow and you can look back historically at a price to sales multiple, I think we were, you know, where the markets are right now is basically, you know, more close to a 10-year average, but just still slightly above that, Aaron. Isn't that correct? On a price that to we're, sales we're, basis? On a price to sales, um, yeah. when you're talking about the tech, yeah, you're, you're about at the 10 year. Yeah. Yeah. So does that, yet. I mean, that really hasn't swung well to the other direction in terms of where there's a ton of value yet. It's kind of swung back to more of an average. It's kind of swung to the, and this, you know, if you look at past times in the market where you've had euphoria, it typically doesn't swing right back to the middle and just stay there back to the average it typically swings in the other direction we're not saying it's going to do that this time but um it has done that before in the past so we'll see if we stay kind of at 
like we're more, even though there's been that decline, like a 28% decline in the NASDAQ, over half the stocks are down over 55% on the NASDAQ, which seems like a ton of pain. But on a valuation basis, are we just at 10-year averages right now? That looks more likely than us being at some point where we're, you know, 20% below the average valuations, which would be a significant, you know, a discount and a price where we'd want to jump in on a number of names if you're looking like three years out or, or more. So, I mean, are we at a point right now where valuations have just returned to just pre-pandemic levels, which were, you know, slightly above average, or are we at a buy point? So those are the questions. I think it's going to come down to individual companies. I think there's some individual companies that are at a buy point, if you look three to five years out, but broadly the markets is probably just back to where, you know, it was pre-pandemic and uh, there's also more uncertainty right now. So maybe the markets haven't gone as far down as, the, as they will go at some point. On that cheery note, let's move to the uh, next company. The company we're going to talk about is MyTech. Uh, we got a question from a listener. It's time we answer a question on your stock. In a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. It's a company we actually addressed in our recent U.S. SaaS technology report. Aaron's going to handle that and, and go through what the business does and uh, whether it, off it offers some value right now. Great. So MyTech is is an interesting company. We've, we've had a lot of questions on it over the last several months. Uh, so just to give it a breakdown here, MyTech Systems Inc., the symbol on the company is MITK. It trades on the NASDAQ. Price of 920 right now and has a market capitalization of about 400 million. So MyTech is, an is a digital identity and fraud protection company. The company's core business is its mobile check deposit software. If you've ever deposited a check to your bank using your cell phone, then you've probably used MyTech software. 98% of US banks use the technology. Uh, and the company has deposited over 4 billion checks with a total cumulative value of over 1.5 trillion dollars. MyTech is also developing its digital identity verification technology. The company has multiple products in this market, including Mobile Verify, which provides real-time ID document authentication, allowing companies, its customers, to verify the identities of current and prospective customers as a security measure. Digital identity verification is the long-term growth driver of MyTech. MyTech financially is a highly profitable company, uh, lots of cash flow generation and a strong track record of growth. In its most recent quarter, total, total revenue was up 21% year over year to about 35 million. That was a record second quarter for the company. Its non-GAAP earnings per share increased 49% to about 24 cents per share. Last year, the company grew its revenue 18%, grew its non-GAAP earnings per share 19% to 76 cents. The mobile deposit re business revenue increased 11% to 75 million, and the ID verification revenue increased 32% to 44 million. So the company has reported eight consecutive years of revenue growth at an average compound rate of 26% per year and six years of consecutive profitability. The balance sheet is okay 62 million in cash, about 132 million in debt. MyTech's net debt to EBITDA ratio is about 2.5 times, which we would consider on the high end for a software company, but we, we have no concerns really in the near term anyways about the balance sheet. Valuation is very interesting. MyTech stock is trading at about 10 times 
its trailing non-GAAP earnings per share of 91 cents. So on a valuation basis relative to the growth, that look, looks interesting. Now, the valuation actually looks very attractive if we take it at face value. However, when we dig a little bit deeper into the company, there are some concerns that we have, which is why we're still monitoring the stock and not ready to recommend it today. So looking at the current operations, the mobile check cashing business accounts for 63% of revenue, but it accounts for 100% of cash flow and earnings. The digital ID verification business is where the long-term growth potential really lies, but as of today, this, this segment, it's still losing money. Earlier this year in March, the company closed the acquisition of a UK-based company called Huyu for $130 million. This is a sizable acquisition for a company like MyTech. MyTech expects the Huyu acquisition will be transformational to its ID verification business, but Huyu as well is still burning cash. And in fact, the acquisition will actually delay MyTech's target for its ID verification business to become profitable. Right now, MyTech is, is expecting that the ID segment will be cash flow positive by the second half of fiscal 2024. So you're still looking at a couple of years from now. So the only thing making money for MyTech right now is its, is its mobile check deposit business. And of course, the usage of checks are in decline, declining at about three to 5% per year. Mobile check, mobile check deposits are growing the mobile deposit segment of just the che overall checking uh, market is growing, um, but eventually we are going to start to see the mobile check deposits decline as well um, at about the same rate as, as the overall check business. Um, over time, it's essentially mobile checks are going to start to dominate the market and we're going to start to see um, that decline as well. So long-term, MyTech knows it needs the ID verification business, but for us, this business isn't fully proven until it starts to make money. Another overhang that MyTAC has is that there is a lawsuit. The United Services Automobile Association has sued claiming that MyTAC's mobile check deposit software violates its patents. The USAA has actually gone after some of MyTAC's customers and received some fairly sizable judgments. There is really no way of knowing where this legal action is going to go or how credible it is, um, but it's definitely an overhang for MyTAC and, and a risk. So the financial performance, the valuation, the potential growth prospects from MyTech all look great, fantastic even. Uh, what we need to see from the company, however, is ideally two things. One would be more clarity regarding the lawsuits and how this is gonna impact MyTech. I don't know when this is gonna happen. These legal actions can drag on sometimes for many years. Um, but at the very least, we would wanna see the digital ID verification business transition into positive cash flow and start to become the primary source of growth and profitability for the overall company. This would really validate the technology financially and also reduce MyTech's dependence on its mobile check deposit business, uh, which is less of a long-term growth driver and also subject to those legal issues. So for now, we sit on the sidelines, but it is a very interesting cash flowing business and we will continue to monitor it closely. Excellent. Thank you for that summary. Uh, we're going to move to Brennan, and he's going to talk about Block, which was formerly Square. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to let you take that away, Brennan. I will take it away. So yeah, Block, Inc., 
uh, SQ on the New York Stock Exchange, currently trading at a price of about 64.50 and has a market cap of $38 billion. Uh, so what does the company do? Block is a diversified technology company co-founded and operated by Jack Dorsey, who is one of Twitter's co-founders. Uh, and the company has a focus on financial services. It is made up of Square, Cash App, Spiral, Title, and TBD. And essentially the company builds tools to help more people access the economy. Uh, so just looking at Square first, uh, this segment helps sellers run and grow their businesses with its integrated ecosystem of commerce solutions, uh, business software, and banking services. And of course, you know, it's point of sales uh, you know, system. That's what it's uh, very well uh, known for. Uh, Cash App as well. Uh, this allows individuals to send spend or invest their money in stocks or Bitcoin and they actually developed this in-house. Now uh, they also acquired Title, and I believe this was acquired from Jay-Z uh, and Title essentially uh, allows artists uh, to uh, put their music online uh, and connect more deeply with fans. And then they also have uh, Spiral, which was formerly Square Crypto, which builds and funds free open source Bitcoin projects. And TBD is building an open developer platform to make it easier to access Bitcoin and other blockchain technologies without having to go through an institution. So a few key points, like Ryan said, uh, the company did announce that it is changing its name from Square to Block, which acknowledges the company's growth away from its original point of sale Square business. On June 2nd, Square announced that it is working with Apple to enable tap to pay on iPhone within the Square point of sale app, which is good to see because I have been seeing a lot of people using their phones uh, to pay for stuff now, just tapping it. Um, now, looking at acquisitions, Block has made five acquisitions over the past four years. The most notable being Afterpay, uh, which was made in January of 2022, which is an Australian fintech company known for its buy now, pay later service. And following the acquisition, Square launched its first integration with Afterpay, providing buy now, pay later functionality. And the integration will enable Square sellers to offer uh, Afterpay's buy now, pay later experience to their customers, helping them attract new shoppers and drive incremental revenue. Revenue. Now, looking at the financial results, this is for Q1 of 2022. Of course, it's all in US dollars. Revenue came in at $4 billion, a decrease of about 22%. And this decrease was primarily due to the decrease in Bitcoin revenue uh, from decreased Bitcoin trading uh, and decreased Bitcoin volatility. Now, if we exclude revenue from Bitcoin and the Afterpay acquisition, revenue came in at 2.1 billion, up about 36% year over year. Now, looking at each kind of, uh, of their segments or where revenue is coming from, 31% of the revenue is coming from transaction base. So that would be essentially from Square. 24% uh, of uh, the business or revenue is coming from SaaS sales. Uh, hardware is about a percent. And then Bitcoin is 44% of total revenue. However, uh, if we look at Bitcoin gross profit, it actually only came in at 3% of the total gross profit in Q1 of 2022. So top line revenue fluctuates widely with Bitcoin revenue, but the bottom line doesn't. So that's something to uh, keep in mind. 
Now, looking at a profitability, uh, adjusted net income was about 103.7 million or 18 cents per share, a decrease of 39%. And adjusted EBITDA was about 195.4 million, a decrease of 17.3%. And the decrease in profitability was due to an increase in operating expenses, including expenses related to the afterpay acquisition. The company has a healthy balance sheet with 4.8 billion in cash. Leases and debt were about 5.2 billion, providing net debt of about $363 million. And it is also worth noting that Block has uh, about 149 million in Bitcoin on its balance sheet under its non-current assets. Looking at the valuation, uh, Block trades with a trailing EV to adjusted EBITDA multiple of about 35 times, a trailing price to FFO multiple of 30 times, and a price to adjusted earnings multiple of about 44 times. So our take here. Now, Block is a diversified technology company co-founded and operated by Jack Dorsey, Twitter's Twitter's co-founder, like I said, the company's legacy Square seller business has made a reputable name for itself as one of the best point of sale systems on the market. Plus, the company's cash app, which was developed in-house, has garnered great success with more than 44 million monthly transacting accounts as of December 2021 across the United States and Europe. And in 2021, across the iOS App Store and Google Play Store uh, in the US, Cash App was the number one finance app and the number four app overall based on downloads. The Afterpay acquisition is also interesting, which enables Square sellers to offer these buy now, pay later services, uh, as well as Cash App users are now able to manage their installments through the app, which should support some synergistic organic growth into the future. Now, excluding the company's highly volatile Bitcoin revenue, Block's revenue compounded at a rate of 35% from 2019 to 2021. Plus, you know, Block has a healthy balance sheet, like I said, and they were able to generate a profit during the 2019, 2020, and 2021 fiscal years on both an adjusted and gap net profit basis. But one thing to note here is that gap net income has declined over the three years due to substantial share-based compensation. Now, though management did or did not provide financial guidance, earnings and profitability are likely to decrease this year since the company's first half of 2022 has been off to a slow start and the next two quarters have tougher comparable financial results to lap from the 2021 fiscal year. Considering the company's quality name, tech diversification, healthy balance sheet, great track record of growth and valuation multiples, the business is interesting, but the company is highly sensitive to an overall economic downturn and a reduction in consumer spending given its transaction-based business. And as well, you know, the company does have exposure to Bitcoin. It also has credit risk with Afterpay's buy now, pay later operations, as well as Square Loans, uh, which offers small to medium-sized business uh, businesses loans, essentially. So with all of that said, Due to its anticipated weaker fiscal year, lack of concrete financial guidance, sensitivity to the overall economy, and the necessity for the company to showcase its ability to chart back into gap profitability during the second half of 2022, it remains a monitor in our books. That was a lot. It looks look, looks expensive to me. I mean, you you quoted a 44 times trailing Correct. Uh, adjusted net earnings, but you know, with earnings going down, looking forward, I I mean, you you'd be paying a, a higher valuation than that. 
Um, extremely volatile. So down about 75% from its highs, which I, I suppose in the tech industry is really just par for the course. But, you know, one thing that's interesting is Jack Dorsey's involvement. And I think that a lot of people would look at that and they would assume like, well, you got this, this um, you know, tech mogul in as one of the backers, you know, with a great track record. And, you know, I, I would I would argue, yeah, technologically from like a technical perspective, he built or founded what is, you know, a very important company in Twitter. But if you look from an investor's perspective, um, you know, Twitter hasn't really made investors any money. It IPO'd about eight years ago in 2014 at over $40 per share and or about 40 per share trading today at about 37 per share. So and just a really volatile ride in in the meantime. So I wouldn't even say that, you know, his not to not to beat on him. I think that, you know, as a as a tech person, he's probably, you know, great. But um, from an investor's perspective, I don't think that that's a compelling track record. Yeah. And, and you just again, I, I keep harping on this point, you look at the stock down 75, 76% since its highs last year, how overvalued were these companies? Yeah, and when still we, we're talking we about it, it being yeah. expensive, yeah. right? Still we're talking about being expensive. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, 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 you know, it's, we talked to uh, Mark's talking about the pendulum swinging so far into euphoria coming back. Um, you know, does it still have to swing back the other way? And if you look individually at a company like this, it swung to massive euphoric, euphoric levels uh, in terms of the price being paid, the value that you got for that price on the stock. Now, swinging back 75% the other way, uh, still leading us to look at it and say, well, given the the headwinds ahead of it right now, is it still overvalued? So do you have another 40%, 30% to clip off this company before it starts to look like it has some semblance of growth and value. We're not talking about like asking this company to come back to 20 times earnings and have 35% growth. So it looks like a massive value. We're just asking it to come back to, because the earnings figures, again, that Brennan's quoting there, adjusted earnings, they're not gap earnings. So you yeah. Know, and so. if it comes back, if it comes down to 20 times on a forward yeah. basis, then like it, it really needs to lose another 75%. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That's so. How far does that pendulum have to swing back the other way? You know, because I, I mean, we get many clients all the time. Well, you know, Block or or X Y Z tech company or another firm in the U S must be on sale now that it's down eighty five percent. I mean, the shop is a daily question we get. It's down eighty something percent. It must be value now. Well, you know, if we do those valuation calculations and suggest it has to go down, I'm not saying shop specifically, but this company has to go down another 55 to 70% to just get in a range where it might have some growth with value. Um, it just shows you how overvalued these companies were. And that's that's kind of my point. Yeah, exactly. And if I could just say one more thing, like just again, you know. You know no, that's enough. We're, we're, yeah, I was going to say no, you can't. We're talking <laughs> about adjusted enough. income. Again, like the one worrying thing, and I did say this in my piece, is that, you know, we're seeing yeah. gap income decrease. Like the company was doing, they were doing pretty good from 2015 to 2018. They ended up having, you so know. So actual accounting income exactly. you know, is decreasing. Exactly. So we're seeing, you know, uh, I guess they, they were working into gap profit. They tapped into gra gap profit in 2019, and now we're seeing them kind of trend right back. This into is that another gap. topic, sorry, that we could handle on a, a podcast, how valuations, and we talked about this before, went to everybody went off earnings and cash flow and, 
And then, you know, it got, went to EBITDA. Then we were using price to sales, not us, but the market generally. Many analysts were using that just because half the time it becomes they're beholden to these companies as uh, as avenues of uh, raising funds. So that's how they get paid. So they have to make the investment look somehow uh, worthy of your dollars and they are running a price to sales method. Well, metric and oh, it's 20 times price to sales. It must be good value because they look at the underlying multiple to earnings or cash flow and it's just astronomical. So some way they have to justify in a report that this company looks like a good place to put your dollar still. And, you know, it really, you know, it doesn't tend to put a good light onto the average analyst that works for the large Bay Street firms when you look at what they were, you know, valuing some of these companies at. And now you see a 75% decline and you still think it may be overvalued and significantly overvalued. So anyways, okay, let's move on to Voyager Digital. We've let uh, Brett wait long enough to get into that. He talked about it in our last podcast, uh, detailed the sordid tale here from, uh, you know, over, I think, $38 in that range down to $0.60. Called it a gamble at best in the last podcast. Let's give you a quick catch-up of where Voyager Digital has gone over the past uh, 7 to 10 days. All right. So we're finally through Brennan. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Brennan, it was an amazing review. I'm sure. It it was good. But I did fall asleep halfway through. As you should. Yeah. (laughs) Got got the wake-up call. Yes. Yeah. All right. Voyager Digital. So for those who missed the last podcast, so Aaron, (laughs) Voyager Digital is a publicly traded cryptocurrency exchange that wrote, wrote a bad loan to three arrows capital a cryptocurrency hedge fund who is now defaulted causing voyager digital to have liquidity and sovereignty issues since then voyager has declared chapter 11 bankruptcy which allows for reorganization of the company this leads us to voyager's current restructuring plan all equity accounts so if you were holding the halted shares they're essentially worth nothing you're, you're at zero. So your 60 cents is now zero. You, you want down the 100%. So, which leads us to the customers who do have a hope of retaining some of the value. They're US dollars, not the stable coins, only the standard US dollars are FDIC insured to the 250,000, which some, I did look through some of the accounts. Some of the accounts were holding up to $10 million on their account balance, which most likely included cryptocurrencies. But if they held over the 250,000, they're out of luck past that. Customers will receive a pro rata share. So in respect to if they held, let's say 0.1% of the company and they're able to recover 0.075, they'll get 75% of the balance back in cryptocurrency or common shares of the reorganized company or Voyager token or a combination, which is most likely the case. The exact amounts are not known uh, but they will likely be known in the near future as the bankruptcy filing continues. Aside from the bankruptcy filing, Voyager's state of plan, Cash Labs, a blockchain developer, has issued a letter of intent of an offer of $250 million for Voyager's remaining qualified assets, which includes the APIs, which is just essentially the background code, customers list, branding, and IP. If this sale goes through, it may fill a cur- the current hole in Voyager's balance sheet, 
or at least a portion of it, allowing customers to receive a higher portion of their assets, which currently is up in the air. In summary, the equity is gone and customers are getting some of their holdings back eventually. Yeah, it's uh, like we said, a cautionary tale there. And just uh, the management's stewarding of the capital, uh, loaning uh, such a huge amount out of the overall capital basically into, you know, one entity was, you know, an, an absolute poor steward, a poor decision by management. And it shows you the risk there, um, something that should not have been any type of action from management in this case, as far as I can see. I think that's going to sum up our show. Did you guys have any final comments on that or are we done? I think we're done. If I could just say, back on vacation now. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. (laughs) What do you mean? No, I I thought the ratings go up every time I'm gone. What are you? What are you talking? It's true. It's true. Uh, now, okay. Well, I th- thank everybody for listening. Uh, you guys for helping us put together this podcast. Keep your questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segments. If we want us to compare a couple companies, we'll do a debate in that respect. Uh, again, rate us, review us on iTunes. We love to see those five star ratings on there. And uh, again, I like to thank everybody. I wish everybody out there profitable investing. Thank you. Yes, profitable investing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.